hello, and welcome back to the SLP Corner Podcast. I'm so excited. (laughs) I've let everyone know a few times on my Instagram, but my favorite SLP professor, Dr. Stefka Marinova-Todd is back on the podcast. I want I want everyone to get to know Dr. Stefka Marinova-Todd. She's a developmental psycholinguist with her main research interests being bilingual language development and second language acquisition. She herself is originally from Bulgaria and she considers herself to be a balanced bilingual in English and Bulgarian. She also has experiences learning Russian, German, French, and some Latin which I'm very (laughs) impressed by as a monolingual English speaker. (laughs) Dr. Marinova Todd completed her undergraduate degree in developmental psychology at York University in Canada and her doctoral degree in human development and psychology at the Harvard Graduate School of Education in the U.S. She is now an associate professor at the School of Audiology and Speech Sciences here at UBC. So she was my professor when I was in my master's program and she is currently an associate editor at Applied Psycholinguistics and is on the editorial board at Language, Speech, and Hearing Services in Schools, which is an ASHA journal. Welcome to the podcast. I know everyone is so excited to have you on. I feel so, so excited that someone who is so specialized and is so busy has taken the time to come on the SLP Corner podcast. So welcome to the podcast and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. It's always a great pleasure and I love being here. So anytime. Thank you. So I asked my Instagram followers, I really wanted to make sure that we um, covered some topics that SLPs are kind of wanting to know more information on. We have two podcasts together already, which I'm going to link in the description of the bio. So I tried to get some different topics and different questions because a lot of the questions people had, we already covered. So I'm going to link those. So if you have other questions that we didn't answer, it's probably something we covered in our previous podcast. So check those out. We're going to cover a lot of different questions today. We're going to talk about code switching, um, standardized testing, assessments, and just some common questions that, that came up. So for the first question, this is a really common one. And we have touched on it before, but since it came up so many times, I thought it might be worthwhile to just go through it again. Um, basically, it has to do with counting number of words. So this is something SLPs focus on a lot, and parents also focus on a lot, like how many words do they have at 24 months? Are we seeing a delay in their number of words? And the question is, how do you count a bilingual child's number of words? So some SLPs feel that if they have the word in both languages, that's two words. Some SLPs think that's one word. And parents are wondering the same thing. And it can make a big difference if you're counting number of words because it could double the word count. So what are your um, what are your opinions and thoughts on that? That's a great question, Sharon. I love it uh, because it doesn't really have a simple answer. Um, I can't just say yes or no, but I can give you a longer version of the answer and I'm happy to do that. I completely understand where the question comes from parents. um, And I assumed it's probably from parents of young children in the first couple of years of life, because that's when we usually bother as parents to count words. (laughs) Um, Later, we leave that to the SLPs (laughs) and the professionals to do. But early on, when parents can still keep track of the number of words their kids produce that they're very sensitive to that question so uh, um, so first I would say for a clinician in particular working with bilingual families it's important to establish the language use in the home and outside the home um, and usually how you do that is the easiest is to speak with the parents and ask 
what languages are spoken to the child, who speaks them, and how often. Um, just to get a general idea of what might be the more dominant language in the child's environment and which one's the less dominant language, and that would already give you a sense of where you might expect to see more words in which language. <laughs> um, or is the child being exposed to more or less equivalent uh, amount of in, in each language, therefore then you might expect that they, the child should have either more or less similar amount of words in each language. And then the next two things to consider, first of all, is what is the purpose of the assessment? Why do you want to know how many words the child knows? Is it because you want to know whether the child is capable of learning words, right? Do they have the capacity to learn words or is there some disorder or delay that interferes with that? Or is, are you interested simply in establishing whether her vocabulary is rich or does she have large enough vocabulary or vocabulary that's larger than that of her peers, et cetera? Depending on those two goals, um, the answer would be different. So I would say if, the child, if you're interested in whether the child is capable of learning new words, then count all the words in all languages because really all you want to see is any exposure, no matter in what language to new vocabulary does the child acquire, is capable of acquiring it or not, right? But if you're looking at establishing vocabulary richness, vocabulary size, um, and then I'll add the next caveat, which is the age of the child. But generally in that context, you would want to then count possibly what we call conceptual vocabulary. And I think we talked about that in your podcast last time, but I'll define it again just for if, in case you have new listeners. <laughs> um, but before I go to conceptual vocabulary, I also wanted to add the second consideration caveat is the age of the child. So one was, what is the purpose of the assessment? The second one is, how old is the child? And I would say if the child is in the first two, two and a half, with a language delay possibly as old as three years of age, uh, probably counting all of the child's words, again, in any language would be good. <laughs> because when children typically developing or with language delay, when they're so young, they generally have few words in their vocabularies and not necessarily want to make it really clear, children are not confused, bilingual children are not confused by being exposed to more than one language, but it, when at that early age, sometimes they may have two words for the same concept in each language, but we can still treat them more or less as different words because they have only 50 words in total, so every new word makes a difference, right? But once they're older, once they're past three or four, and then their vocabularies are more in the hundreds, obviously that's not as important. And by that point, again, we should focus more on establishing conceptual vocabulary. So what do I mean by conceptual vocabulary? Um, <clears throat> basically, that is the number of concepts for which a child has a label or a word in either language. Let's say if the child is bilingual, for the purposes of simplicity, let's just talk about, assume that the kids we'll be talking about will be bilingual, so functional in two languages, but obviously that could be true for multilingual kids. Um, so conceptual vocabulary is the number of concepts that the child has at least one label in either language for. So then you count only the concepts, and if there's two labels, one in each language, that would be counted as one one concept, um, but similarly, if they have word only in either language, one or the other, that still will count as one concept. So it's a bit different than the total vocabulary. Um, so again, to get back to the original question, I hope this makes sense and I try to clarify is that when the child is 
in the first two years of life. And if the purpose is for you to establish is the child capable of learning your vocabulary, then count all the words, regardless in which language they are. And even if they're doubles in one in Spanish and one in English, that's fine. Um, but when they're older, and if you're aiming to establish particular vocabulary size, then focusing on conceptual vocabulary will be important. Okay, thank you so much for going over that. Um, it's such a common question and parents are asking it all the time. So it's really helpful to kind of have those key points. What is the purpose? How old are they? And the conversation around conceptual vocabulary. Thank you for going over that. The next thing that is a very popular topic is code switching. <laughs> so this um, originally came up because someone asked when I was asking people about these questions that they've seen SLPs actually discourage code switching. And I actually, ha I hadn't heard that. I was quite surprised. So I was like, okay, this is, this is a great question for you. Um, because I, I yeah. So basically maybe, um, if you could just discuss a little bit about what it is, if there's anyone listening, they're like, not sure what code switching means. And then maybe just like the pros and cons, like, can it cause language delays? Is there a reason to avoid code switching? Any, any thoughts, um, on this topic would be helpful because whenever there's such a clear divide with uh, SLP's opinions, it's like, whew, like what are, you know, I think we need some uh, guidance here. <clears throat> Absolutely, great question. And I know I similarly get asked this question by parents a lot. Um, and it always goes hand in hand in my experience with this bilingualism confused young children or confused children with autism or children with language delay, etc. And so the answer to the confusion question is no, let's just <laughs> get that one straight out, um, out of here. Uh, and I could elaborate on it more, but I'll just focus for now on the code switching phenomenon and, and explain why it's actually not a sign of language confusion, but it's actually a perfectly normal and quite common phenomenon. So to define code switching, in the field is basically the ability um, of bilingual individuals to switch from one language to the other, typically within the same utterance. So while they're still speaking, let's say, start in English, then they switch to Spanish, and then they go back to English, that would be called code switching. Code switching can also happen at different levels of language. So it could start at the smallest part of, of speech, I guess, it's at the sound level. So we can just switch a sound. Uh, we can switch a morpheme, so smallest unit of words, and you can switch at the whole word level, phrasal level, and also sentence level, or even whole part, like we don't speak in paragraphs, but <laughs> whole section, you know what? It, so the, the idea is that we can code switch at a variety of, of levels. It doesn't have to be only in phrase, for example. That's all normal and common, as I said. Um, and a lot of researchers in bilingualism have spent a significant amount of time studying the phenomenon. Um, and I would say overwhelmingly now the evidence have shown convincingly that it is code switching is not revealing any weaknesses on the part of the learners, but quite the opposite. And actually code switching shows how much children have already learned in each of their languages. So how do we establish that is because let's take morphology or uh, you know pieces of words. So past tense morphology in English, we usually create by adding the ED morpheme at the end of verbs, regular verbs. Um, so if a child, which is not an uncommon type of code switching to be observed, especially in young children or early second language learners is to, for example, to add the past ED morpheme to 
a verb in a different language. So whether it's French or Spanish. Um, and so people might say, oh, well, that's a mistake. That's wrong. That's not okay. But actually it's already showing you that the child has learned how to form um, past tense and regular verbs in English. And it's just basically overgeneralizing it to the other language, which eventually with some more experience and practice, the child will get rid of that or that will go away or understand that ED is only formed in English and not in French, et cetera. So in any, it's really important to remember that actually it's showing that what the children have already learned rather than any kind of um, weakness. What are most common reasons for code switching? I think that would also help explain the phenomenon better and, and that it's not um, problem problematic. It's usually, I can think of two main reasons. One is because we often just simply can't remember a word <laughs> in one language while we're speaking the other language, um, or, we don't, or we don't even know it. So I just, I'm speaking English, let's say it's my second language, and I'm, I know a lot of words, but I just don't know that particular one, but I know it in my first language. And if I'm speaking to another person who is bilingual in both languages, I know that when I, whichever language I say the word in, it, they'll understand me. And this is one of the reasons why we use code switching as a coping strategy, basically helps us cope in our communication to make it more effort, effortless and smooth. And that might be something, especially for children with language delay and difficulties, again, it could be a coping mechanism because we want them to use all the resources they have. At the end of the day, we really don't care what in which language, as long as they can pull all their resources and convey whatever their communicative intent is, right? And the second common reason that people code switch is, um, this is sort of, uh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not trying to be um, <laughs> insulting to anyone, but sometimes we're just too lazy to think, you know, I'm a bilingual and I'm guilty of that. So um, just, you know, instead of thinking again, if I'm speaking to somebody who I know speaks both languages, the word comes first in my other language, I'll just say it. I won't bother now trying to translate it, right? It's just, it's easier. Um, and it, or it's also sometimes the word is more commonly used in one of the languages and not in the other language and therefore just comes more naturally. So um, an example I give in my classes, as you may remember, Shannon, but often if I'm on the bus in Vancouver and I hear students on the bus talk in a language that I don't understand, every once in a while I'll hear something like hydrology or meet me at the nest. <laughs> and, and so that how do people, how do I know that these people are code switching? Well, because I know that, I, that the nest is in the student union building and that's probably where they're going. Um, and so that's exactly, instead of translating the nest into Chinese or Korean, whichever language you're speaking, it just doesn't even actually pragmatically comes naturally. I mean, it's more natural to just say it in the language in which you first encountered it. So basically, this is the second main reason, which is pragmatic strategy. It's pragmatically, like communicatively more efficient, more natural. It also actually allows us to establish a closer connection with our interlocutors. You know, it's sort of inexplicitly telling them we share both languages, we understand each other in both languages, and therefore we have this freedom to switch between the two languages and still understand each other. So that sort of creates more um, closeness among the interlocutors. So I'd say those are also the pro pros of code switching. So it gives us all these advantages. As to cons, um, your second question, um, I would say, there are no specific cons with some caveats again. First of all, it does not cause language delay. <laughs> Code switching does not cause language delay. Let's make that very clear. Um, it's also not a sign of 
difficulties. So children with language delay don't tend to code switch more often than children, typically developing children. Having said that, though, I would say that like everything else in life, don't overdo it. <laughs> um, you know, anything, no matter how good it is, doing too much of it, I think it's never too good. Um, and why is that? Well, you don't want code switching or this constant um, switching between the two languages to become standard or the prevalent way of communication in the child's environment, because it will become the standard way of talking for the child too. Right, the child will mimic uh, what the child sees in his or her environment. And so at the end of the day, while we naturally code switch and it's not a um, problematic phenomenon, we don't do it that much, right? If we do it a lot, then it becomes jarring and not pragmatically appropriate, what I was just saying. So uh, we want to make sure that the child is exposed, again, always what I say in the bilingual context to the highest degree of language proficiency, the highest quality, the highest quantity, and how you do that is by being consistent and you know, giving the child consistently good quality language. And you do that by not engaging in code switching too much. And again, naturally, we don't tend to engage in code switching too much. So then again, it's not really a problem, but something to be mindful of. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I think that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for going over that. This probably started in your classes that I was able to attend and then also our podcast. I always use that with parents um, and I, other SLPs listening. It's a helpful way to explain to parents in so many different circumstances that we want them to be exposed to the highest quality. So if like a certain language is their first language, we want the highest quality. We want in with all of our, with crows across the board, you know? So I, I like the way you explain that because it makes it so clear for so many different circumstances with learning language. We just want the highest quality for these kids. Okay, so thank you for debunking this myth that code switching may cause a language delay. And it's so funny because this sparked conversation in my, I work at Speech Meta and my Speech Meta group chat we were talking about this because I was telling everyone that you're coming on and so one of my coworkers who's bilingual said if code switching causes language delays every single bilingual I know is language delayed and she's like I don't think that's the truth absolutely true i agree yeah great yeah. example for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> all righty i hope you guys enjoyed that so this podcast was really focused on those two really common questions code switching and word counting so i hope those answered some questions for you stefka and i continued talking for another 30 minutes or so so stay tuned for that conversation coming up next week with lots of questions surrounding bilingual children and assessment so stay tuned for that and thank you Thank you for tuning in.